God is with us. God is with us. He has never left us. He has never forsaken us. I want to get right into his word. Who's ready for the word of God? I've got a bunch of scriptures here, and um, I feel like my sermon's a sermonette, but I have a whole bunch of scripture, so I want to just get right into it. I want you to look with me. I, I started looking at Egypt and Moses and the trial there uh, before the Red Sea, and we looked at that in December, and then there were some parts of it that I left and uh, I didn't feel compelled to get into at that point, but I want to uh, preach on some of those things now. So I want you to look in your Bible, or you can look to the screen, to Genesis chapter 45, verse 5. Genesis 45, verse 5. Joseph was sent uh, into Egypt out. It was not his will to go to Egypt. Everybody knows the story. His brothers betrayed him and sent him into slavery in Egypt. Who knows the story? Raise your hand if you know the story. All right, so Joseph uh, was put into this position uh, outside of his will. Everybody say, outside of his will. And now here he is. He's in Egypt. You know the story. He ends up, he's not just a slave, but he ends up going into a dungeon. He was falsely accused. And then God supernaturally at the right time, everybody say at the right time, right at the right time, God took him out of the pit, right, and placed him in the palace, right? Christians, you know your Christianese, from the pit to the palace. Who knows your Christianese, right? From the pit to the palace. And so here he is. In verse 5, now his brothers have come to him because there's a famine, and he says, God sent me here. What's it say? What's the word say? God sent me here. Well, that's confusing because I thought that his brothers betrayed him. But the Bible says that God sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. He says in verse 6 that the famine's going to last five more years. In verse 7, it says again, God sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. Verse 8, so it was God. Right, are we getting the point here? It was God who sent me here, not you. Everybody say, God sent me here. You can point to your circumstances. You can point to pandemics. You can point to 2020. You can point to your situation if that's what you need to do. And you just tell that situation, you didn't send me here. I answer to God. God has my life in his hands. We are where we need to be. And we are where God has destined. And I don't understand all those details. And just like Joseph, I think we can all identify with him. We don't always like the story that gets us to the place that God has us. Right? I don't think that Joseph enjoyed his 17 years. He found peace in it. He found, made the best of it. In fact, he had so much favor, and God blessed him, but he was blessed in a, in a, in a position of slavery, and he was blessed in, in the, in the, literally in the dungeon. And the Bible says, we can read it in the Psalms, that he had chains on him that were heavy, and they hurt his limbs. They hurt his arms and his legs. So he was not enjoyable, and yet he understood that God used it for a supernatural purpose, and he says, 
Continuing in verse 8, he is the one who God, God made me an advisor to Pharaoh. And now I'm over the entire region. He says in verse 9, now hurry back to my father and come down immediately. Verse 10, you can live in the region of Goshen. I want you to say Goshen. Goshen's going to be a key word to your uh, teaching from the Lord today. For our sermon today, Goshen is our key word here. He says, verse 10, you can live in the region of Goshen where you can be near me with all your children, grandchildren, your flocks and herds and everything you own. So before I move on, I want to just say it one more time. Who sent Joseph to Egypt? God did. Not his brothers, not jealousy, even though the devil, right, fueled jealousy in them to do it. But God, <laughs> who loves how, how great God is, his, his, his understanding is beyond our comprehension. On the surface, we have the evil of jealousy, which the Bible says that they crucified Christ because of envy and jealousies. That's why they did it. Not because they didn't believe he was the son of God. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says they crucified him out of envy and jealousy. Very powerful, evil desire in a person that causes evil circumstances. And yet, God was above it. And God used it. He was watching the whole situation. And then, so what I want to get to here is that when verse 10 comes and he says to them, you can live in the region of Goshen where you can be near me, he, we can imply that if God sent Joseph to Egypt, then God was inspiring them to live in the region of Goshen. Does that make sense? In fact, let's get, let the word now emphasize that. Genesis chapter 46, verse 1. So Jacob set out for Egypt with all his possessions, and when he came to Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And during the night, God spoke to him in a vision. Jacob, Jacob, he called, here I am. Jacob replied, I am the God of your father. The voice said, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt for there I will make your family into a great nation. So, verse 3, Genesis 46, God was looking ahead 17 years in advance when they betrayed Joseph with a plan, wasn't he? And now God is looking ahead 430 years Hard to believe, isn't it? Hard for us to understand. But God is looking ahead generations upon generations. He's looking ahead, generations ahead, and making Jacob a promise. Who knows if God says it, he means it. And if he says it, it will come to pass. Period. It may not be in the time in the way, in the shape or the form that you want or like or etc. But God will keep his promises. 
He's not going to keep your promise. And what I mean by that is your perception of his promise. He's going to keep his promise. He doesn't always show you the fullness of what that means, but he did keep his promise, didn't he? And we can read through his whole word. He always keeps his promise. So it says here in Genesis chapter 47, he says, uh, Genesis 46, rather, I want to continue there before I move on. He says, I am with you, and don't be afraid, because I'm going to go there with you. He says, verse 4, I will go with you. So, not only did God send Joseph, but now the time has come for the family to go there. They would have never gone there willingly, so God crafted a plan to get them to leave the promised land that God promised them to now go to Egypt again. So God uh, used the situation to get them to get there. And who knows, God uses situations to get us to places that we wouldn't have gone otherwise. <laughs> huh. So he says, and there's a bit of a fight here. You know, they don't want to go. Um, a little because initially, you know, the, you go back into the story. We're not going to get into that just because time. I'm trying to move here, but we know that, you know, uh, there's a bargain, right? Uh, they want Benjamin. He's like, I want to see my brother, and he's like, you know what? I'm going to cut my losses off here. I'm keeping Benjamin. Sorry, you know, we're not going back to Egypt. And anyway, so now here we are, Genesis 46. God's got him right where he wants him. He says. I'm going to go with you, and what's it say? And I will bring you back again. God meant it, didn't he? But this is what he says. He says, you will die in Egypt. So I will bring you back again, but you will die in Egypt. What's the you? There's such a greater thing that's happening when you live in this earth than you. I was just talking to someone recently, and I said, you know, really, your children, your children are uh, such a picture of why we're still on this earth when we get saved, right? Because if we just get saved, and, and then, uh, and God takes us to heaven, that would be great, right? We'd all love that, right? In theory, we're all like, well, that's amazing. That's what I want. And yet, then if you have children left behind, right, if you're raising young ones, you understand completely, or raising grandchildren, just think, well, who's going to be there to raise them and teach them and craft them and get them to the place that God got me? And it's such a picture, really, of what God is doing in history that your life is so much greater than your life. It's not really ever about you. You get to reap some benefits and some blessings, but it's really never about you, is it, your life here? You're always paying it forward. That's what God's kingdom is supposed to be. Someone's paid it forward for me, and now I'm paying it forward for someone else. Now, it's not that I don't count. I don't, God doesn't care about me. I'm living on, like, grace and mercy of generations past, and I'm supposed to be laying that foundation down, that road for them to walk on as well. Does that make sense? Jesus did that. Jesus laid the road out, provided the blood, 
gave the Holy Spirit, and then we walk in the path that he laid out. And then they did the same thing, right? Paul lays the road out. He lays the story out. He gives it. Not everybody wants to walk on it, but gives the road. And then those that were willing walked on it, and then continuing and continuing, continuing. And here we are today. And so it's so much greater than us. He says, I'll bring you back again, but you personally, you physically in your body, in your human body, that human body is going to die, but you don't die. Isn't that amazing? Also a picture of the eternity, the picture of our spirit man that is with Christ, that is eternal and the physical. I'm going to bring you back, but the human body will die in Egypt. And I just want to move on. I'm going to, I could stay here and really preach from this because such truth in it. But let's move on. So he says, you will die in Egypt, but Joseph will be with you to close your eyes. So he gives him this promise. Finally, get to see his son again, who he loved. And we get into Genesis chapter 47. I want to stay focused here. It says, verse 5, that Pharaoh said to Joseph, now that your father and brothers have joined you here, choose any place in the entire land of Egypt for them to live. It says, give them the best. Everybody say the best. Give them the best land of Egypt. Let them live in the region of Goshen. So, Goshen was considered the best land of Egypt. In fact, I looked at the map, and basically the Nile hits the Mediterranean right through Goshen. And I was looking... And if you look on a map, it's just literally golden desert. You know, that whole region, even like, you know, uh, uh, the south of Israel. And then we get into the wilderness, right? That's that wilderness that they went through where Mount Sinai is. And all of Egypt, just this big circle of just golden looking from above. But right here against the water is just green as green can be. It was the best of the best. God... Uh, took them from what was his promised land, and they go down to this place called Goshen, but it truly was the best for them. Everybody say God's best for them. God knows what's best for you, and God gives us the best. Now, we don't understand what that means because the best was, well, God, you've been promising and promising and promising that this was our land. You know, I'm third generation now with this promise. Jacob is thinking, is Jacob now called Israel is thinking, uh, you know, this is, I'm third generation. We've been waiting. We've been believing. This is the promised land, not Egypt. We don't fully understand God's plan. Just say that out loud. I think your mind needs to hear it out of your spirit. We don't fully understand God's plan. We can imply, even 430 years later, when God does answer his promise and brings them in and they defeat Canaan and so on, the story goes on. There's many, many, many things that we could pick up. Well, it looks like maybe he did this, maybe he did, he did that. But the Bible never actually says why he does this. We know temporarily because there was, there was a famine. But why they stay, the Bible never answers this question. Why it took two, three hundred, four hundred years. There's no answer. 
except that God is God. Everybody just say, God is God. And he knows what he's doing. And, as, and in last week's sermon, I said he hears every cry. He knows what he's doing, and he's watching. There's nothing, not even the Bible says that he knows the hairs on our head. I don't know the hairs on my head. It's my head. But he knows the hairs on our head. Some people have less hairs on their head. I have less than I used to. He knows the hairs on our head. That's how much he cares for us and watches over us. He says, a sparrow falls, and I notice, don't you think that you are more valuable to me than a sparrow? Right? So he is in control, and he knows what he's doing, and we need to go where he tells us to go. We need to be where he tells us to be. But this is the point that if we will listen to God and we will submit to him, God's best is always in mind for us. Even if it doesn't seem like it in the moment, he has his best for us. His plan is the best. Everybody say, his plan is the best. So it says, uh, verse 27, Meanwhile, the people of Israel settled in the region of Goshen in Egypt, and there they acquired property, and they were fruitful, and their population grew rapidly. So we know the story. Genesis 50, uh, it says, Soon I will die, verse 24. So Joseph tells his brothers, God... He reminds them of the promise. Genesis 50, verse 24. They've been there now for some time. And he says, I'm going to die, but I just want you to know God promised us and he will lead us out of this land of Egypt and he will bring you back to the land he solemnly promised to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. All right, so God made a promise and they believed it. So now Joseph is fourth generation, and now he's passing it on, and he's reminding them of God's promise. It says, though, everybody say though, or you can say but, right? Uh, in the Bible, the Bible is really, um, people try to write really interesting stories with twists and turns, and the Bible really is, is wild, isn't it? It has so many really, it's a true story, and it has so many twists and turns. It's, you know, every page, you're shocked. You know, you're leaving, okay, wow, I'm leaving Genesis. I'm leaving the book of Genesis thinking, wow, isn't God so faithful? Well, it says in Exodus chapter 1, verse 6, In time, Joseph and all his brothers died, ending that entire generation, and their descendants, verse 7, the Israelites had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly they became extremely powerful and filled the land. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. And he said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't and war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us, and then they will escape from the country. Now, this is not my sermon today, but it's interesting how the enemy, who is Egypt here, always knows what really what's going on. <laughs> they know what really is prophesied, and they know what God's going to do. It's not really the Egyptians here afraid that they're going to lose their newfound slaves here. That's what they're going to make them after this verse. But 
it's the enemy. Satan has been trying to do this throughout history, is try to control God's plan. He wants to get in and meddle with God's plan and manipulate God's timeline, God's people, etc., right? But we know that his plans always fail. But for a time being, it looks like, as I've said many, many, many times from this pulpit, it looks like the enemy and his camp, everybody say the enemy and his camp, seem. I want you to say this word. They seem. They appear. Right? My emotions, my intellect, my uh, uh, ability to decipher and discern in the natural is really all sub. It's all subpar. It really is irrelevant to what God is doing in the unseen. But it's hard to tell all of your senses when you're a slave and you're being beaten and it's hot and you, have, you know somewhere in the distance that there was this promise. Now it's just been passed on to generation to generation to generation to generation and now you have this distant story that there was this God once who met with my great, 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 great someone and said that this isn't that we're going to be have our own land. It's hard to fully grasp it now, and yet God's plan and purpose had not changed. So fast forward, hundreds of years have passed by, and Moses is led by God to lead the people out of slavery, and God will judge Israel for their treatment of God's people. So Moses is going to lead them out. He's going to judge uh, Egypt. The time has come. We've preached those sermons. I've gotten into that. But now the time has come. And um, there was this time period, though, when God made the promise, there was a time period of, of just life, and then finally they forgot. And now here we are that God reminds them of the promise again. Who loves when God comes and reminds you of a forgotten promise? Who's had a promise that the Lord said to you a long, long time ago that you forgot about? You just kind of learned to be a slave. You made the best of it. And then suddenly the promise comes again, and the Lord's like, I'm going to do what I said I was going to do a long time ago. Now, what happens after? We've been preaching this extensively, but it needs to be said again. It always gets harder before it gets better. That's just like, that's just the human condition besides God's plan. That's just how it is, right? You want to go win a race. You know, there's some hard work in between. You want to get across that finish line and have that victory, that's great. But how much uh, is required to get to that victory, right? You want to stand on the side and have the trophy, and that's yours. It can be yours. But there's a tremendous amount of work that needs to be done to get there, even though it's already promised. It's sure. So it gets worse before it gets better. What happens? They're persecuted. They're persecuted. They have their persecution be just for being, uh, just for even thinking, really. The persecution was because they thought about, they considered this prophecy again. Now, Moses reminding them of the promise, and just for even considering, right? They're literally persecuted just for it being spoken. You realize that? They make no attempt to leave Egypt, there is no staged coup whatsoever. The enemy is so furious that it even, 
even the audacity to speak God's promises causes him to persecute them. Sounds familiar, doesn't it, right now, if you know what I'm saying? And, uh, but what happens is, is God is on his path. Uh, at this point, God has stepped off his throne, and he has begun to do some things that aren't going to be stopped. Who's excited? God stepped into the situation and said, in your time, even though I don't exist in time, but in your reality, it's been a long time, hundreds of years. But in my reality and your reality, they're coming together to meet today. And even though it's not time for me and it's been time for you, the time has come and I'm going to deal with Pharaoh and I am going to rescue you. And the ball has begun to roll and it's not going to stop. So they can persecute you, but it's not going to stop the fulfillment of my promise. And then what happens is God, not Egypt, begins to release plagues on the earth, on Egypt. Egypt, I've said many times, and we know this in Christianity, Egypt is a biblical metaphor for the world and the world system. Specifically, it's the, when we say the world in the Greek in the New Testament, right? I, I had some verses here, but I'll just say them now so I can get, make sure I get to them. We are in this world, but we are not of this world, right? We get that from a few verses in John. Right, Because Jesus says, I'm not of this world, and you're not of this world. And what he's talking about is this Greek word, cosmos, which is the world system. It's not the earth itself. Of course, we live in this earth, in the physical body, but it's much like this. This is a great way to understand it. That I, Well, for me, it was easy to understand. Maybe for you, it's, it's stupid, but God showed me this. I get into a car... <clears throat> And I drive from my house to the church. And I drive from my house home. That car is not me. That's not my identity. That's not who I am. It's simply a tool to get me where I need to be. Your human body and your human condition is literally just a car. That's all it is. You know, it's, it's really an incredible creation that God has made here. But this thing... I don't want to get sci-fi, but it won't be long because science is already tapping into it. I just listened to some stuff this week. They're growing ears on the side of mice. No, I'm serious. That's not, that's not, that's not conspiracy. I mean, that's real. You need an ear replacement, they'll, they'll grow you one. That's where it's going. They actually successfully already grafted a fake nose. They grew a nose in a laboratory, and a guy has one now. I'm not talking about plastic surgery. I mean a real nose that they grew from cells in a laboratory without a body and put it on him. All right, and, and so as amazing as we are, this is not God's creation right here. I mean, it's not, I'm not saying he didn't make this. I just mean that we're much more than this. When he made us and breathed, when we were made in his image, we weren't earthly, right? We didn't have... Uh, as maybe as some of you think your freckles are pretty, right? Some moles are, are elegant, right? But you didn't have them because that's a part of the curse, right? That's the sun searing into our skin and, and causes a reaction, right? You didn't have wrinkles. You, everybody would be glad you didn't have those. We didn't age. 
right? We weren't, this is not God's creation. This is a result of sin. This is a temporary place. Everybody say it's a temporary place. But you are still inside that vehicle driving right now. And when you get out of your car and park it, you still exist, and the car is just a car. This body will go in the ground, but the body is not you. You are just riding inside of it for a time. In fact, it's even been said that you're in a spacesuit. You're really, this is, you're right, this is going to get weird, but you are really, you're not of this world. You are an alien. That's what the Bible says. Put it in modern terms, right? You are living, your spirit right now is in Christ in heaven. But in this earth, it's, on, it's literally got a spacesuit that breathes oxygen. Do you think your spirit needs oxygen? Does your spirit, when it says that God breathed into them, do you think he was breathing in oxygen? He was breathing in supernatural spirit, the Holy Spirit, really, into us. That's really the connection we lost. Jesus' blood purchased back what? The Holy Spirit. I mean, that's clear. I don't, we don't have time, but you can go into a Bible study from Genesis to Revelation. They had the, Adam and Eve had the Holy Spirit. They walked with God. He breathed the Spirit into them, and they gained back the Spirit through Christ. We have the Holy Spirit through Christ. So what I want to say is this. We are in this cosmos. We are in Egypt. We are in this earth. But only your body is in this earth. I know our minds are like, what? Short-fusing. You are not actually here. What? You are in Christ. That's what my word says. I believe my word so much that I don't care what it seems or looks or feels like in the natural. That's how much I believe it. And my Bible says I'm in Christ. Who, who knows your word? Does your word say you're in Christ? Everybody says Christ come in my heart. So we think Christ is in us, which is true. I'm not saying it's not true, but really, the Bible never says Jesus come into my heart, not once. The Bible does say, though, that we die, we lay our lives down, we give our lives to him, and then it says that we ascend into heaven, into Christ, and sit with him at the right hand of God, and that the him in us is now our spirit together, unified, the two flesh become one. That's the, the beauty, right? Here we are on Valentine's Day, right? Paul calls it a mystery. He's like, I'm not even going to mess with marriage because I don't get it. It's a mystery. Happy Valentine's Day. But he actually says that it's a picture of us in Christ. And the Bible says that the two flesh became one. So it's not Jesus in my human body, it's actually my spirit and his spirit in his body in heaven, and his spirit and my spirit as one in this body on the earth. I know it sounds like the same thing, and it's not. This is why he says, don't worry what they can do to the body. Fear the one that can judge the soul, depending on your translation. In other words... Your body may die, but you are not 
dead. In fact, the Bible, when you really understand who we are and what we are, you are a zombie. You are a dead man walking before you come to Christ. The Bible doesn't actually say that you die and go to heaven. Not once. The Bible says that the body dies, but it says that we have what we have. What do we do? We are born again. When we're born again, they said, how's that possible? Well, because you're trying to see it like you're trying to come back out of your mother again. And that's not what I'm talking about. You are supernaturally born in heaven again. You were born on the earth a dead man. You are a zombie driving in a car. But if you will let me, I will rebirth you. I will join your spirit with my spirit, and I will place my spirit inside that car to get to and from. Does that make sense to the best you can understand today? So now, here we are in Egypt, and the Bible says that Moses was instructed to turn the water into blood, and then he was instructed to infest Egypt with frogs, and then he was instructed to cover the entire land in nets. When this began to happen in Egypt, both the Egyptians and the Israelites experienced it. The Israelites were experiencing what the Egyptians were because it was done to the whole land. But the Bible says, and this is so amazing, it says in the book of Exodus chapter 8, Verse 20, you guys still with me? Everybody still with me? In Exodus chapter 8, verse 20, it says that the Lord told Moses, get up early in the morning and stand in Pharaoh's way as he goes down to the river and say to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so they can worship me. And if you refuse, I'm going to send flies on you. Your officials, your people, and all the houses, the Egyptian homes will be filled with flies and the ground will be covered with them. But this time, everybody say, but this time, I will spare the region of Goshen. He says, this time, I will spare the region of Goshen, the NLT says, or you may know it as I will make your translation might say a distinction, a division. I'm going to show you that my people are not under your cosmos. They are not of your system. You do not control them. They might be, Goshen might be in the world. It might be in the region of Egypt, but Goshen is not under your control because you might call it, there might be a flag of Egypt waving over it and you might call that your land, but what you don't know is that I preserved my people hundreds of years ago and I sent them to that land. It was my plan and my purpose and that is my people and they are no longer going to be 
under. I'm going to begin to show you that I'm God in heaven and that the God of this world will bow his knee to the God of heaven and that even though it looks like they are the same as you and I, we're all the same. They're just a man and I'm just a man. I'm going to begin to show you that there's a division. There's a distinction that they are my people and I'm going to protect them and I'm going to watch over them. And it says no flies will be found there. Then you will know that I am the Lord and that I'm present even in the heart of your land. I will make a clear distinction between my people and your people. This miraculous sign will happen tomorrow. We don't have time, but in Exodus here, do you know this is a start? This is an Old Testament picture. God's uh, giving us a preview of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and the separation of what happens. That for a time, you are a slave to this world and then for a time you get the promise I'm not going to be a slave anymore but something begins to happen now you're a believer and you still are suffering the same things that the world is suffering you're going through the same stuff they're going through but then something begins to happen supernaturally God begins to do a work in you and begins to do a work inside your home and in your life, right? Who remembers these times in your Christianity? We need to remember again because we need to remember right now because the, the Lord's about to do some new distinctions, some new divisions between this world, this cosmos, and us. We are not of this world. We are not under its system. And for a time, you may have seen the nets, and for a time, you're like, Lord, why are we under their blood? Why is my water blood just because they're water's blood. I'm your son. I'm your child. You promised me. You promised me. And it's time again that we realize we are not of this world, that this is just a temporary place, that this cosmos may have this body right here, but that's not me. I am in you and you are in me in heaven and we are riding in the earth for a season, but the Lord's about to move again. And it says in Exodus chapter 9, verse 3, that the hand of the Lord will strike all your livestock, your horses, your donkeys, your camels, your cattle, your sheep, and your goats and with a deadly plague. Do you know, guys, I have no idea if there's any credibility to this, so don't even listen to me, but... Bill Gates came out last week and said, this is not the pandemic that we've been waiting for. Who's heard this? Just came out like last week. There's another one coming. It's not even named. It sounds a lot like they said, you know, we know. They know. We just know. Simultaneously, I didn't even know there was two things happening at once. Nobody knew that Bill Gates... There was some prophecies from even before Bill Gates said it last week, and they said the Lord started to show them some things, that there was more plagues, even worse, coming, but that God was going to protect his people. Now, you just take that to the Lord, 
I'm not advocating the prophet or saying that Bill Gates is God and what he says is going to happen. I'm just saying there are some things in the unknown, and right now we're going to cleave to the Lord. We're going to hold on to his promises. I don't know what that means, and, 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 and I don't understand it all, but I know this, that God said here in Exodus chapter 9 that there's a deadly plague coming, and he said, but the Lord will again make a distinction between the livestock of the Israelites and of the Egyptians. Not a single one of Israel's animals will die. So Moses lifted his staff toward the sky, and thunder and hail and lightning flashed toward the earth, and the Lord sent a tremendous hailstorm against all the land of Egypt. And it says in verse 24, never in all the history of Egypt had there been a storm like that with such devastating hail and continuous lightning, and it left all of Egypt in ruins, and the hail struck down everything in the open field, people, animals, and plants alike. Even the trees were destroyed, and the only place without hail was the region of Goshen where the people of Israel lived. The Bible says that Egypt suffered, but Goshen did not. Goshen was the place that God had put his people. Who know? I started to look at this. is so amazing. Uh, Goshen is the closest bordering area of Egypt. It's the furthest border. It's right on the border. Before, if you leave Goshen, you leave Egypt. Isn't it interesting that we're in this earth for a time and we're looking again for the Lord's coming. We're looking for Jesus to come again. And we're waiting. We're waiting faithfully for the Lord. But this, and there's many blessings <clears throat> that the Lord gives us along the way that we don't deserve. And, and in so many times I'm like, Lord, you've given us the best and we don't deserve the best. You've blessed us so much. But it, Goshen was a holding area. Goshen is not heaven, was not the promised land, was it? God's got us, even though we're looking for his coming and we're heaven bound. When God judges the earth, uh, just this is amazing. I just, I was spending time with the Lord and putting this sermon together. The earth is subject to the earth. When a sailor goes out to sea, he is subject to the waves and can do nothing about it except fight it with a sail or a motor. And they have to do something to overpower the waves. Right, do we understand this? Sickness comes on the earth, hurts, people die, people abuse you and use you. And there's nothing you can do about it in the earth. It's just the fallen world we live in. But as Christians, we are not subject to the same control that the world is. And I just, I began to just meditate on this, that the Lord, you go through Exodus 9, just for time now. Exodus 9, he talks about that plague. Exodus 10, we've got darkness. It's dark in Egypt and light in Goshen. Come on, talk about the implications there. 
and that they're the light. And then finally, what? Right in Exodus 11, the blood on the doorpost, the distinction of the blood of Jesus. Finally, it's only the blood of Jesus that can separate us and protect us, right? There's a distinction, and, and here's what I began to just, I just, the Lord showed me is, the world has no choice in the matter. You get what you get, right? And they have words like luck. That's all the world. If you make, like, if something, you know, a shark, this is awful, but when a shark attacks someone on the beach, you're lucky that you weren't the one. The shark's just doing what it's doing. It's not even thinking, I want to eat that person. It's just, I'm a shark, and this looks like food. And the person's just in the wrong place at the wrong time. But in the Lord, we, even though it's not heaven, this is the picture. Even though Goshen was not the promised land, God carved out a place of the earth. This is what I want to get you to see today. Even though we're not in heaven yet, and this is that picture of Christ, we're in Christ, and the promise is there. He told Jacob, you're going to see it, even though we know that he died. How did he see it? Because his spirit, his spirit was with his descendants, his spirit's with the Lord. His spirit, when God brought them there, Jacob's watching from panoramic view. He did get to see it. He did go there, just outside of this realm. When we live in this earth and a traumatic experience happens, we have this incredible ability that the world doesn't. This is why I don't think I could ever do a secular funeral. It would be so hard for me. I've asked, I've asked the Lord to not make me do it. I don't know. I'll ask him again when the day comes. Because to the believer that loses a believer, I'm like, we're so filled with hope. They're not dead. That's just a body. We have so much hope and joy and life in Christ that, and Jesus showed us this New Testament, and I'm wrapping up right now. The storm came, and the disciples were afraid because that's what storms do, right? Storms come, and they knock ships over, and people drown. Jesus says to them, why are you afraid? Because even though I'm in the earth, I'm not of the earth, and right now, I'm going to carve out a Goshen for you. I'm going to show you Goshen right here on the sea that there can be a storm all around, but I don't live under this cosmos. And I don't submit to its demands. And to be honest, we need to realize that Goshen is not a physical place. It's a spiritual place. And how can I prove that? Because the promised land was not really a physical place. We can read in Hebrews that the promise, they never really got there because it was Jesus Christ they were really going towards. And we have Jesus Christ, which means if Jesus is the real promise, then Goshen wasn't really a land either, but a spiritual place of being. And understanding that God, it's a, it's a living in a way that we understand that God's with us and he protects us and keeps us. And the thing is that sometimes we experience the world around us, they experience some of it. And sometimes some of it touches us. And you just have to just step back and just, you're going to have to just keep worshiping God during those times and just look to him. Because ultimately, here's where I want to get to. This is why I want to say it's spiritual. 
Because even if that storm comes, and even if that boat had tipped over and all those disciples drowned, Jesus was not lying when he said to them, why are you afraid? Don't be afraid and calm the storm. If they had all died, they would be with him in heaven. Do we understand this? There is a place that we're going to have to live in, and I've been preaching it for, for this five years and a half that I've been preaching here at this church. But it's a, we're going to have to live in a place where we do not look at the earth and we do not. I'm not saying that you don't savor every moment you got here on the earth, that you savor it from the Lord. Because, again, we're, I'm here for these children and I'm here to as long as I'm here, I'm a witness. But ultimately, if that day comes where we go, we don't die. There is nothing to be afraid of and there's nothing to worry about. That's the summation of this. Goshen was a picture that even in the midst of chaos and hell on earth, literally the worst that God has ever done to a nation in my Bible that I can tell is Egypt. He does things to other nations, but I mean, he just demolished them and they were kept safe. They were protected. God is protecting you, but you need to realize, and this is why I brought up that analogy, that you are not your car. This body may be touched. Your human emotions may be touched, but there's a place inside you where I have sorrow, but I have hope, where my body is touched, but I'm alive. Does that make sense? You need to know that you 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 are secure that God is actually literally present tense building places for us in heaven, which is incredible to think about. That he's walking with us, that the Holy Spirit is with us. That's the only way that Stephen could be stoned and look up and smile and just worship God. It's the only way that Paul could be in prison, just freshly beaten, because he had entered into that spiritual place where he was in Goshen. He had his eyes on the promise, but he knew that God was with him in the earth. There was a place carved out in that cell right then. And it looked at his, if he looked in the natural, his body was beaten, but in his spirit, he, was, he had joy. Amen. We're going to live as spiritual people, not physical. This is not our cosmos. We don't listen to its demands. It is not going to push us around any longer. This world is not going to push your emotions around and push your body around and push you around. And it may try to push, and that's where you cleave to Christ even stronger. We just thank you, God, and I praise you, Lord, for your word. And I just pray, God, you'd seal it down into our hearts. God, I pray that you put it down deep, deep, deep in us, Lord, in that dark place inside of us, Lord God, where the soil, Lord God, can feed it and grow and becomes life in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.